a, a Giants podcast for Giants fans. By Giants fans. It's Sean Morash and Paul Dotino. Down the sideline, into the end zone. From the offseason, through the wins and the losses, it's time to take one, one, one giant, giant step, step. All right, it will not be a victory Monday edition of One Giant Step. I guess it's a good thing that we've had so little of these, but... I'm quite agitated. I'm sure Paul is too. It's been a long Sunday. We're doing this on a Sunday night, which means you might get real raw, me and Paul, off a Giants and Lions loss at cold, windy MetLife. We haven't had time to decompress sleep and talk about things on a Monday. So here we go. Paul Dottino with me, Sean Morris here on One Giant Step. Paul, good evening, I'm going to say here on a Sunday evening. How are you? Yes. Hello, Sean. It was uh, incredibly windy and cold and nippy out there at the Meadowlands. But I think ultimately we will dissect this thing over the course of the next half hour. But when push comes to shove, the Giants got beaten up in the trenches on both sides of the ball. And that, above everything else, is the bottom line. And the only other time this year where I really felt strongly that way was in Seattle. Uh, I even thought they held up better against Dallas on the trenches than they did against Seattle. And, oh, by the way, they also lost the turnover battle and committed a host of uh, penalties, eight to be exact. Yep, That's a team that deserved to lose. Okay, so let me give a little precursor or tease of what's going to come if you're listening to this podcast because we've had a lot of high-fiving and celebrating these wins, and we've obviously done a couple of these lost podcasts as well, but I think this one's a little more in-depth. Number one, the injuries, which we are going to get to because that's kind of a separate conversation. And if you listen to the Giants postgame show on the on the fan, I think Paul actually put it right, and we're going to get into this. Just when you think the Giants are actually getting healthier, they might have gotten hit with some of the worst injuries and worst timing of injuries they could have had. We will talk about big picture stuff about the three division games coming up. I mean, the Dallas Cowboys rolled right along here. Missed opportunity with the Eagles not winning that game. The Commanders look elite. Those games coming up, we will get to the big picture after this loss as well. The fact of the matter is, let's start right here. The Giants are not 8-2. and two. The Giants, with the bye sprinkled in about five weeks ago, I think a lot of fans looked and said, geez, could this team go on a 4-0 run here? Jacksonville, Seattle, Houston, Detroit. And in the end, it's a 2-2 two and two run, which now looking back, thank goodness for the stop one yard short versus Jacksonville because this team, in theory, could have lost three of these four games. But as far as it pertains to Detroit, because that's what we're here to break down. Paul, you're right. Number one. You get to the stadium today, and you guys roll over at the pregame show. The wind was such an enormous factor. Now, we knew it was going to be cold weather. We didn't necessarily know the wind gusts were what they were going to be when we did our preview podcast and talking about what the Giants' offense had to do. Um, That being said, okay, wind, great. Going to be tough to throw. Falls right into the Giants' plans. Well, not so fast. Detroit had the best recipe for slowing down Saquon Barkley, and they basically said, we are going to do everything we can to make sure Saquon gets nothing. And they whooped the Giants' asses up front. Now, Dexter Lawrence had a few plays. The Giants inevitably on some of these third downs still could not get home. You know, a play, play a second short. Jared Goff makes the plays. What it came down to, too, offensively, Shane Lemieux starts, didn't look prepared to start a game. Azudu ends up coming in there. They end up getting Feliciano banged up. Nick Gates comes in. He has a bit of a false start because his communication's all over the place. Tyree Phillips gets hurt. That leads to next man up at right tackle. It's Evan Neal, who he's been out of sync. So suddenly the Giants, who had this deep offensive line, and now it wasn't a total disaster from a blocking standpoint, but run blocking, boy, you saw the communication wasn't there, Paul. There's no doubt about that, Sean. And by the time they got it to the second half, think about it. 
really, and you outlined it moments ago, they had three-fifths of their offensive line changed out during the course of the afternoon. Yeah. And yeah. and that's a problem. Uh, and not only because those are changes, but think about the rust. Obviously, yep. Matthew Parrott was rusty. Obviously, Nick Gates, now playing center for the first time this season, was rusty. And, and to be frank with you, Shane LeBue was incredibly rusty from the very first snap. Yeah. So, you know, this this was something they were going to try to have to work through. I thought it showed up more in the run game than it did the pass protection, to be I frank. Agree. I agree. And, I and agree. that may be somewhat of a positive because I don't think Daniel Jones, even though he got hit 10 times in this game and did take two sacks, I don't think he took quite the battering that one might expect when you have to replace three-fifths of your offensive line on the fly. Yeah, and it was a weird game from the offense from that standpoint. And and we know, Paul, I've been kicking and screaming to score 30, been kicking and screaming to throw the ball more. Uh, yeah. and, and I know I inevitably have already had the idiot fans talk to me or friends talk to me about, you know, Daniel Jones. We'll get to that separately. Look, here's the truth, though. Nick Gates, long-term, I think probably is a better center than John Feliciano. Matt Parrott? I think probably long-term, if you had to pick him or Tyree Phillips, I'd rather have him. Uh, and I'd rather have Azudu over Shane Lemieux, I think, based on what I saw. But the point is, when it comes to communication and the run-blocking scheme, when you change all those out at once, I mean, gelling and communication is a huge thing, and the Giants didn't have that. But, Paul, I thought the first half of this game, first of all, having the Lions come down score late in the half absolutely crushed them. Clearly, yes. Graham, you know, between the wind and having the IVs and not being healthy, the extra points were deflating, and I understand all that. But it was such a weird game offensively because it did not feel like the Lions were 11 points better at the half or 18 points better, but they were just executing down the stretch. And I keep coming back to the penalties, Paul. This was as undisciplined and as unraveling I saw with the Giants of penalties, more so in the first half than the second half. I thought every time they had a penalty, it felt like it was two steps forward and then five steps backward, and they were drive killers. At least it felt that way. Now, you might have something different on paper, but it felt like the penalties completely collapsed the Giants' offense in the first half. Well, you know, they had taken the lead, and then the Lions came back and grabbed a 10-6 to advantage, and that's with about four and a half minutes left in the second quarter. Now, the Giants are going to get the ball back, and I'm saying to myself, okay, it's time for that run game to get going. It's time for these guys to start showing what they believe they can do and start getting a little bit of a grip on this game. Because remember, what do I always tell you, Sean? Parcells always said to us, you want to control the narrative and the tempo of how the game is going to be played. Right. And that's what I kept waiting for the Giants to do. And what happens? On that kickoff with four and a half minutes to go, McLeod gets called for an illegal block, I mean, and they're forced to start at their own six-yard line with the wind whipping like crazy. And consequently, on that tiny drive, they only get it out to the 43. They're forced to punt. Lions get it with two minutes to go, and they go on a touchdown drive, which was like a gut punch to the yeah. Giants to make it 17-6. Knowing, by the way, and then the Giants got the ball back and there really wasn't much to do with what they had. Right. Knowing that the Lions are going to get the ball to start the third quarter and basically for all practical purposes, they executed the perfect double dip because they come out to start the third quarter and go immediately on a touchdown drive. And I'm going to tell you right now, at 24-6, to with the wind kicking like it was, even though Daniel Jones 
threw the ball pretty darn well today. I did not think the Giants were going to be able to come back from that deficit. Yeah, it, it felt big. And see, that's the that's the difference here, Paul, is that the, the knock on the Giants has been they've played these close games, and when they've come back, they've been able to run the ball, you know, the Titan game, the Raven game, all of that. And the theory was if you're down double digits, they don't have the offense built to come back. Well, I would argue that today, although they didn't complete the comeback, seeing Daniel Jones in the in the wind be able to throw the ball and get the yardage up and, and have all these problems told me they do have some of that capability, but you can't take penalties and you got to be able to make plays, not have Isaiah Hodgins fumble the ball late. Uh, you know, clearly you you lose Wandell. That's a huge play. Uh, but you know, the Giants do have that capability with Daniel Jones's arm to do that, but guys gotta make plays. I mean, they just have to make plays. So I mean, it was it was brutal. It was brutal all around. And the idea in the wind, by the way, for the Lions to to execute and finish with touchdowns too. And you want to talk about defensively here? We could put this game all on the offense for a second. And I know that everyone wants to crush the offense in the six points of the first half. This was as bad as we've seen the defense play. And Paul, the Adoree Jackson stuff we'll get to in a second because I think that's for a deeper conversation, whether he should be fielding punch, shouldn't. Losing him is horrible. Obviously, losing Moreau is horrible. You start to test it. Rodarius Williams, another guy with rust, having to come play. But I thought really what was important today, when you're seeing the way that run game's executing, this was the spot where the Giants missed Xavier McKinney. They flat out missed him. He's a tackling machine that doesn't take bad angles, and I thought he was extremely missed with this kind of offense. Well, I'll be honest with you. I thought the linebackers overall, not McKinney necessarily at safety, but I thought the linebackers did not fill their gaps very well. Oh, McFadden I, was awful too, Paul. He might have been the worst player in the field today. I I was powerless to explain why the linebackers were so invisible. And Dexter Lawrence made a few plays during the course of the game, but he wasn't himself. Uh, I, I don't think that, that Thibodeau was particularly effective. And Leonard Williams after really coming on the last several weeks, was very, very quiet. This this yeah. was a game where, again, the, I, 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 I can't stress this enough, Sean, the Giants lost in the trenches on both sides of the they ball. Did. They allowed Detroit to run for 160 yards, convert 6 of 13 on third downs, while the Giants, by the way, Barkley, 22 yards, what is it, on 15 carries, fourth lowest rushing output of his career. Insane. I believe fourth. No, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Fifth lowest rushing output of his career. Yeah. You would have thought he was running behind Mike Remmers and Nate Solder today, the way that he just couldn't get going. Paul, with that though, you know, this is also a bigger problem with the defense. Big picture too, right? If these guys up front get whipped in games, and I know Dexter Lawrence made his place, but Leonard Williams, Kayvon Thibodeau, who I, you know, guy can't draw a holding pill. I almost feel bad for Kayvon Thibodeau. He's getting held left and right. You need more of that, and I get it. But as long as Aziz Ojolari is out, you know, the longer Dory Jackson's out back there, and the longer Xavier McKinney's out back there, you can't just expect Wink Martindale to send the house as the only way to get home here. Right. Because how the heck are McLeod and Rodarius Williams gonna and Cordell Flock gonna hold up versus some of these teams that can really air it out, like the Cowboys and like the Eagles? I mean, that's a real problem if they don't start getting home with the front four. All right. Let's make something clear to everybody out there. I think Cordell Flott has skills to be a boundary corner. I like him very much, but he missed a lot of time this summer. Yeah. And the guy is as green as a cucumber. Okay? Yeah. Rodarius Williams missed two-thirds of last season with a torn ACL. Just got activated about a week ago. 
So he is virtually as green as a cucumber. Okay. I think both guys have the talent to help out and be boundary corners, but a, they need experience and B they need to be guys who can be gradually rotated in. Neither of these guys is ready to be a hundred percent snap count full-time starter. Who's going to shut premier guys down in this league. That's not where they are at this stage of their career. And God knows McLeod, who was with Buffalo, primarily is a special teams player. Now, okay, he's not a rookie, but McLeod is not in a position to be thrust into a full-time cornerback role either. Right, and he played well in London, if you remember, when McLeod had to come in when Adoree went down in that game. In spots. In spots, right, but to have this spot. Okay, so that's going to walk me right into this, Paul. We might have talked this on the air. I know we talked about it off the year. I don't think this is second guess. I think this is the first real mistake that Brian Dables made as a head coach was having a Dory Jackson as the punt returner. I know that injuries you can't expect them, but why even put him in the risk? And I know that you want somebody to safely catch the football, and clearly Richie James cost them a game with it. But now, by having a Dory Jackson doing that, and I know it's a freak injury or whatever, but he didn't have to be there. He's that valuable to them on the defense. For him to be out there, he might now cost the Giants games, not a game. I think, you know, we've gone over all these injuries and needing guys back in the Giants, you need to get healthy. At some point, the dam is going to break on injuries, and you've been saying that as well. But Dory Jackson was a pretty big piece of the dam. The guy should not have been returning punts, Paul. I'm sorry. You know, look what happened at the end of the Jet game. The end of the Jet game is a moment that is so crazy because it's the first punt return for a touchdown in the NFL all year. So it's not like this punt return game needs to be some electrifying return. You just need a guy to wave his hand up in the air and catch the ball. You're telling me 53 guys on the roster are Dory Jackson's the guy we trust the most with that? We can't find somebody else where the risk isn't there? I will say this. If they made the decision after Seattle that Richie James was going to remain on this roster, I would have gone back to him. As bad as it was in Seattle, and he had trouble with the ball security a couple other times earlier this season when he had some muffs going on too. As bad as that was, he's still on the 53. And what does every coach tell you, Sean? If the guy's on the 53, that means we have confidence in him to play and we right. can put him in the game and believe that he's going to do the job. So if Richie James is still on the roster and we know that he's lost his wide receiver snaps, then why isn't he back there returning punts? Okay, so that's my take on it. I agree with you. I don't think Adore Jackson should have been doing it. Now, if you wanted to tell me that Richie James did not deserve a roster spot on this team and had been removed from the 53, then in all honesty, I probably would have looked at Wandale Robinson to do it. Did a little bit of returning kicks and punts in college. Not very much, but he's practiced it all during the course of the time that he's been here. I probably would have gone there. Now, of course, the counter to that is he had a 100-yard day today. I know we wound up spraining his knee, and we don't know what that's going to look like. Right. But the counter to that is the receiver room is pretty thin, too, and we've been talking about this. How many times have you heard me say in the last three weeks, he's going to break out? They've got him ready to go. And, of course, they opened the floodgates on his receiving skills today, and now he gets hurt, too. 
It's unreal. And and by the way, I do think that Richie James, the main reason he stayed on the team is he was productive in that slot. Wandell Robinson was a guy who was already banged up earlier in the year. And if you had cut Richie James, who's next up in the slot? And oh, by the way, Richie James says a couple balls go his way later on in the game. But with all that, I mean, Darnay Holmes had worked out in practice as well. To me, Paul, I think it's yeah, a but Holmes was valuable as the as the starting nickel. They've used him mostly as the starting nickel. So Paul, his value is there too. Paul, I'm not saying he's not valuable, and clearly he is. But if you were to make me say, hey, let me list the guys who are most valuable yeah. to this team. All right? Yeah. I could make the case, and Saquon Barkley could have been the MVP of the NFL. I could make the case you could get by in a game with Breida and Brightwell, right? I could make that case. You know, it's not going to look as electrifying and all that because we saw today what happened when Saquon's not going. But when you're talking about the importance of Dexter Lawrence, clearly Daniel Jones, even though you can even say Tyrod Taylor's on the team, I mean, you start then, once you get past those guys, I think Dory Jackson's at the top of the list. Yeah. I mean, he, he's been following around the team's best corners. So to me, like, look, if Dory Jackson gets hurt today and sprains an MCL or whatever he's got going on playing cornerback, okay, that happens. Football injuries happen. But there's nothing more infuriating than when a big player gets hurt on something that's completely preventable. And not having a Dory Jackson out there as special teams gunners are flying around uh, or fluky things happen, guys run into each other, that was completely preventable. And if the, and look, it's a next-man-up team, Paul, and you're talking about all these guys with the snap counts, and I think it's, it's fine to fear the worst right now. And hopefully that they do get through in however long he's missing. But, geez, you've got to have a big-picture look at this thing and look at the schedule and say, you know what, as much as this might be our best option, this isn't the smart option. And Brian Dable's been a great head coach. And I think it's a whole organizational decision and all of that. And Shane... This, to me, was the first time I looked at him and said, you guys made a mistake. And it's okay to admit that as Giant fans. Not everything these guys do touch the gold. Today was an enormous mistake having a Dorian Jackson return punts. Yeah, I think to be fair, Sean, we didn't scream from the top of the mountains a couple of weeks ago when he started doing it. So I don't right. want to necessarily kind of second guess because we all know hindsight is twenty twenty. But I will say, I don't think either one of us were necessarily overjoyed to see it at the time. No. But no. we did not scream to the high heavens about it either. So that's my fault if I haven't done this on this podcast. I know I did it on my CBS Sports Radio show. Did you? As, yeah, okay. and I tweeted about it. So if I didn't do it on the podcast, and shame on me. I should have done it. Maybe I, <laughs> maybe I was too busy talking Kit Kats and spoonfuls of corn with you to do that. So that's on me. But it just, I don't know. Paul, that, that, and see, I don't know where you stand on this, right? Losing to the Lions sucks, but I also had this understanding. And look, they could lose to the Lions and beat the Cowboys. Like the league is so weird week to week. The Lions yes. were not terrible. The Lions have played all these one-possession games, four-point games the way the Giants have. They've just been on the losing end of a bunch of them. I mean, you could make the case these teams could flip-flop and be each other this year as far as playoff races go. So the law, the actual game loss to the today doesn't bother me as much as the injuries bother me. And, You're right. And, just, and the Adoree Jackson one. Like, Look, it is what it is, right? They're seven and three. They didn't beat the Lions. It happens in the league. They beat the Ravens. The Ravens probably felt the same way about that. You know, these the Titans. You beat some teams you're not supposed to in theory. You lose to some teams you're not supposed to in theory. That's the nature of the NFL. You just hope you have enough wins in the end. It's the injuries now that are a killer. And and on top of that, Paul, I think I would almost feel better if the Cowboy game was on Sunday. It's the idea of not only the injury is a killer, but whoever's stepping in for the injured, having them turn around in three days and then play a team that just dropped 40 points on the Vikings. And what's right. a big game, by the way, it just it gives me a little anxiety because just like that, you could have two straight losses in a span of four days. And really, injuries are not a not an excuse, but a big part of the reason why that could be. 
Yeah, guys like uh, uh, Neil and potentially Ojolari, who could be activated on Monday, and I think there's a growing chance of that. Both of those guys will come in after having been shelled. So how effective are they going to be in just their first games back from being absent for a while? So, yes, you're you're, look, Sean, you're spot on here. For me, the loss is the loss. They're seven and three after 11 weeks. If you look right now at the big picture in the National Football Conference, it looks like it's an eight team race for seven playoff spots. And right right now, that eighth team is the Washington Commanders, who, by the way, are two losses behind the Giants and still have two games to play the Giants. As I right. said on the Giants postgame show tonight, the Giants just really need to split with them. So that means Washington won't be able to gain ground on the Giants in those particular matchups. We all know division games are worth two, okay? Right. So if the Giants just split with Washington, they've only got to pick up realistically two more wins during the rest of their games to get to 10 and probably get in to the postseason. So they're really not in bad shape. But now, as we always say, it's not who you play, it's when you play them. And the Giants are now entering a very critical part of their schedule, and they've got a host of injury questions to worry about. Well, and and you think about it, Paul, right? So, and again, you were at the stadium, I kind of got a glimpse of everything. The Eagles definitely don't look right off that Monday night loss. They were very fortunate to escape with a late win here versus the Colts. They are a team that is ripe for the picking. They're just, there's something off of them. You see the Cowboys today. After what happened last week, they look like a machine. Washington is really coming along, and they were far more impressive versus Houston today than the Giants were a week ago. Look, these games are not gimmies, and you say split with Washington. Jeez, Paul, if they're losing the Lions, you might need to sweep Washington because what if you don't take care of business on Thanksgiving, which, by the way, nobody expects them to. What if you don't take care of business versus Philly? You still do need those three wins. The Vikings ain't going to be easy later on in the year. Now the Colts are a little spunky. So none of these games are gimmies, and you you just hate to see these things spiral into, you know, enormous losing streaks. And look, this could be a one-off. Look, the Giants could shock us all and win on Thanksgiving. It's the NFL. That could definitely happen. But, man, it, it's going to be tough to overcome. And you talk about Neil, who will obviously have Russ, and Ojolari, who will obviously have Russ. I will say this. I understand treating things with kick gloves and wanting to bring guys back slowly. I think this team is very close to a DEFCON 4 situation here as far as injuries. And if guys are ready to go and they're key parts of the team, Russ be damned. you got to get them out there and hope for the best. No, there's no question that you do. Now, understand this. In the game against Dallas earlier this season, they had trouble with that pass rush, as we've been known to watch over the last few years, because Dallas does a lot of quick moves with their stunting, and they try to cause offensive line confusion. And the Giants have been subjected to those kinds of beatings along that Dallas defensive front for the last several years. I'm sure... Dallas is licking their chops when they get off the field tonight, realizing that the Giants are going to be using more substitute parts on the offensive line. If I'm them, are you kidding me? I'm thinking of of every stunt combination that I could possibly throw at them to try to short-circuit any chance that the Giants will have of getting their offense on track in this game. And, oh, I don't want to hear about how Dallas – Uh, is subjected to uh, rushing offenses, okay? Uh, How about the fact that Detroit's defense was supposed to be crappy coming into today, and because the Giants' offensive line had to be juggled again, they couldn't run the ball. 
No, yeah, and that and see that's what that is what's going to be the crux of this thing going forward, Paul. The Lions had this bad defense, supposedly bad run defense. The Giants got their ass kicked up front. When you look ahead to Dallas, and I know that we're going to have a whole nother pod before then coming in about 48 hours. Let me just say this. That game, when you think about the corners being out and Dak Prescott being able to challenge those guys, when you think about the Giants up front of the offensive line, that game is going to come down to the Giants can't sit back and think they're going to muck this thing up, score 17, 20 points, win the game. They're going to have to make plays through the air. The wind's not going to be a factor. Cold's not going to be a factor. I don't know if it's quick routes, slate and slants, whatever it is, Paul. The Giants heading into Dallas, knowing what they're down personnel-wise at other positions, this is a time-to-score-point situation without any excuses, Paul. And I know that the offensive line of pass protection is going to be a part of that. They're going to have to find a way if they're going to have any shot here. You know what? Darius Slayton just becomes more and more important as every minute ticks by on the clock. And the problem is right now, he kind of is the only guy that you can count on. Wandale Robinson has this this knee thing going now. We have no idea what he's going to be able to provide uh, going forward. And to be frank with you, even though Kenny Galladay caught both of his targets today and, by the way, got a standing (laughs) ovation from the stadium. It was great. It was great. And, by the way, had a great run block early, too. He did. uh, And I believe that was on Jones' scramble. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, You know, look, I know it's small steps for him. But the two catches, no drops. How to run block, just maybe, just maybe. <laughs> that's the little match that can light the fire for Kenny Galladay. This is his best it's game of the season. Off a game where we thought we'd never see him again. Sean, Sean, they they need somebody in that room to command respect on the other side of the ball. Because as I've said to you a thousand times this year and been telling people for how many decades that I've been doing this job, It's always about the respect that you command from the other team's coordinator going into the game that is going to alter or force them to adjust their game plans, which then gives you the advantage going in in terms of trying to develop the narrative of how the game will be played. You're right. Somebody is going to have to step up. This is just, I I, it's weird, man, Paul. I, I feel right now, I feel so dejected. I feel upset. But part of me is also smiling behind my upsetness because at least I'm upset in November, the week before Thanksgiving. At least I didn't watch today feeling complete irrelevance. And at least I know there is hope going forward. It's a, it's almost a weird, bad feeling. It's a good, bad feeling to be this <laughs> upset and this annoyed at a game in November because it does mean something. It does mean something. Um, And, and that's just a different kind of feeling, but. Whew, boy, the unpredictable nature of the NFL, just one of those Sundays. And look, the Giants ha- have done a good job with other injuries. Again, maybe they surprise everybody on Thursday and we're all smiling again. And this was just a one-off situation, but just so much went wrong. So, Paul, before we close out the show, you were around the locker room, around the team post game. I know we don't nothing MRI still have to come for a Dory Jackson, for Wandell Robinson. What was kind of the sense of the locker room post game injuries and even, you know, the result? Well, from the injured players, the five injured players we've already discussed, Robinson uh, left the locker room on crutches. And so that's never a good sign. Okay. Uh, Dory Jackson did not seem very perturbed about what had happened to his knee during the course of the game. 
So I think there might be some optimism there. Again, there's got to be all kinds of tests that these guys will have in the next 24 hours. And I, I don't really get much of a sense of the other guys necessarily being all that dangerous or that significant. Including Again, Fabian Moreau? Uh, didn't really get gotcha. a sense that it was. Gotcha. Okay. But we'll see. Again, okay. oh, yeah. I, I Again, hesitate. No, of I course. Hesitate. Paul, you're not a doctor. Nobody is, and they have to go for tests. So I'm not making you come out and say, I think this guy's yeah. fine. I think that guy's not. Just an overall you know, kind of sense. Now, you know. here's the sense I did get from the locker room. And this is an overwhelming sense from every player that I talk to. Flush it. Forget about it as quickly as possible. It's a short week. Move on to Dallas. This was a not a good game for them. Detroit played extremely well. They deserve credit for what they did. They took the game from the Giants. The Giants understand that. But it's like, fellas, if you let this linger, it's only going to handicap you as you try to prepare yeah. for the Cowboys. And every guy to a man was insisting to flush that game as soon as they walked out of the locker room and they wanted to start preparing for the Cowboys tonight. I want to start preparing for the Cowboys tonight. I might even start figuring out the stuffing recipe, get everything going. I'm going to flush it. I'm going to pretend tomorrow's Thursday and away we go. All right. Well, Paul, listen, all of our listeners, this is a different kind of week. So I want to just set up the rest of the schedule. If you are a loyal subscriber listener, thank you. I see you tweeting at me at Marez, CBS at Giants, WFAN. Thank you. This podcast will drop. Obviously, you've listened to it probably Monday morning, we are going to do the preview podcast. Instead of on a Thursday, we're going to do it Tuesday evening to have out Wednesday morning, you're driving around, going to work before you close out the week. We will preview the game on Wednesday. Then we are going to bounce back at some point Friday morning. Me and Paul, our producer Adam, will convene, and we will get you a reaction pod when Paul is safely home from Dallas uh, and figure that out, get that rolled out for you on Friday. So you're going to get three podcasts this week, one next week when we preview, I guess, the Washington game by the time. So the schedule's all over the place. So just download, subscribe, <laughs> free on the Odyssey app, anywhere it's, you know, podcasts are available. It's, it's all, it's a jumbled mess with Thanksgiving. That's all. It's a mess like my shirt's going to be on Thursday. All right, Paul, we can follow you on Twitter at at GiantsWFAN. And you can follow me at CBS. Thanks to our producer, Adam, and thank you to all of you for taking one giant step below.